Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the workers on one denarius, he sent them into his vineyard for the day. When he went out about nine in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, you also go into my vineyard and I'll give you whatever is right. So off they went about noon and about three. He went out again and did the same thing. Then about five, he went out and found others standing around and said to them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said to him. You also go into my vineyard, he told them. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. When those who were hired, about five came, they each received one denarius. So when the first ones came, they assumed they would get more, but they also received a denarius each. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work and the burning heat. He replied to them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what is yours and go. I want to give this last man the same thing I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Trinity. Good morning, good morning. It's good to see everyone. It's good to be with you guys again. Um, I'm glad it's not as windy today. Last time I was here, we didn't have all these pop-ups because it was too windy. So everyone looks a little more comfortable today, and my notes seem a little more secure. So, um, well, for the parents who are here, it seems like we've got a good number of parents and a good number of kids. Suppose your kid came up to you one day and said, Dad, Mom, um, you know, I was thinking about our living arrangement, and I sort of feel it would be for us to have a little more clarity. You see, I've been um, cleaning my room and setting the dining table, and uh, I've been taking out the trash, and of course, and there's the general just putting things away. That happens all the time, and I, I think that deserves something. Now, I recognize, Dad, Mom, you know, you, you do provide food and clothing and housing, utilities included, and uh, as well as internet. Internet's very important. Um, so how about we just break down these costs? Uh, let's also include the value I add with the chores and just put it on paper and just make sure everything looks equitable. So <laughs> if your kid says that, said that to you, how would you feel? What would you think? I want you to just hold on to those thoughts and feelings as we consider our story. As we just heard, Jesus tells a story about a master who went out to hire workers. Um, around 6 a.m., he found some guys, and they all agreed that they would work for a denarius, which was about a day's wage in Jesus' time. Around 9, he went out again, found some more guys hanging around, and said, uh, I'll pay you whatever is right. And so they went and worked. He did it again at noon, at 3, at 5. And then at 6 o'clock, he calls the foreman and says, hey, we want to pay everybody. Why don't we start with the guys who were hired last? And they came forward, and they each received 
a denarius, a full day's wage. Well, that got the guys who are hired at the beginning all excited. I mean, if they got a denarius, what's this going to look like for us? Except that when they got paid, they too were also given a denarius. And then their excitement turned to resentment. <laughs> they began to grumble. Wait a minute, what's going on here? These last bozos only worked an hour. We worked a full 12-hour day, and you're giving us the same amount? The insinuation, that's not fair. The master says, friends, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't wrong you. You agreed to a denarius. You received a denarius. I'm allowed to pay the other workers whatever I want to pay them. Can't I choose to do what I want with my own money? Or do you begrudge my generosity? And Jesus ends verse 16. So the last will be first and the first last. What does this mean? <laughs> what is this parable saying? Some think maybe it's about God's gracious salvation. You know, like how whether you're the Apostle Paul or the thief on the cross, that if you put your trust in Jesus, then whether you've been following him for decades or just that final hour, you will receive eternal life. That seems to fit, and that is good and true, but is that what it's saying? Some say the phrase, the last will be first and the first will be last, in Jesus' time, often referred to how Jesus was saying tax collectors and prostitutes were entering the kingdom of God ahead of Pharisees and religious leaders. Maybe that's what this parable is saying. And one of, my, one of the commentaries I read suggested that that's the idea, that the kingdom of God is for the undeserving, for the outsider, and that the religious leaders, the successful, they are missing out. I think these are both good and biblical ideas, but let me just be clear. I do not think that is what this parable is teaching. One preacher said, this parable is perhaps harder to interpret than any other. How fun. <laughs> this is a tough one, guys. So I'm going to invite you to put on your thinking caps and just Come with me on this little analysis journey as we try to understand what is Jesus teaching us. The context of this parable is Jesus addressing a rich young ruler, Matthew 19, comes up, a rich young ruler says, what good deed would I do, must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, obey all the commands, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come follow me. And the rich man walked away sad because he had a lot of wealth. And Jesus said, well, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Peter perks up and says, well, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. Subtext, unlike that guy who just walked away, <laughs> we, we did that. What do we get? Jesus responds, well, you will sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And whatever you've given up, family, property, you will receive a hundredfold. And you will receive eternal life. And then Jesus taught them this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a master who went out to hire workers. He, oh, I'm sorry. Before he said that, he said, but many who are first will be last. <laughs> 
and the last first. And then he taught them this parable. And then as we just read, the parable concludes. And the first will be last and the last will be first. In other words, what we have is Peter says, well, Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. What do we get? And the parable is part of Jesus' response to Peter's question. What do we get for giving up everything? And more explicitly, it seems, this parable is unpacking the phrase, the last will be first, the first will be last. So what does that mean? I think it's pretty clear. The context here is not about salvation. Jesus is not talking about how we enter the kingdom of God. Rather, the context here is about reward. Reward for sacrifices we make for Jesus. And it seems to be saying regarding these rewards, in the kingdom, it's not so straightforward. There's kind of an upside-downness. There's a reward reversal, meaning some people may have sacrificed tremendous amounts, have done so much for Jesus, others, maybe not so much, (laughs) maybe not much at all. But the suggestion is our reward isn't going to be necessarily tied to how much we've sacrificed. I'm going to suggest there are glimpses of this in other passages, right? Some will give all they have in their bodies to be burned, but without love, they gain nothing. Or some people give to the poor to be applauded by men. They will have received their reward in full. Or you give a cup of water to a follower of Jesus, you will not lose your reward. Rewards are not necessarily tied to how much someone sacrifices. Well, parables of Jesus often have like this subversive twist. There's kind of like this shock, a little little bomb goes off. Like there's a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. Kabam, you know. There's a prodigal son, and then the father comes running down the road (gasps) and embraces him. (gasps) Like there's something that rubs up against the grain to the original hearers. These are not tame stories. There's something that kind of shocks the system and forces us to rethink our categories. In this story, I think the shock is the master gave a denarius to the guys who were hired at the last hour. He gave them a denarius. They were surprised. We are surprised. Surprise! Denarius! And I think the story could have ended with how the 11th hour workers celebrated the generosity of the master. And on a high note, right? How wonderful. But that's not where Jesus ends it, is it, right? Instead, he quickly moves on to the response of the early workers. How they grumbled. How they resented it. Do you begrudge my generosity? Are you envious because I'm generous? The parable displays God's grace, but then quickly exposes our response to grace. That's where the parable takes us. That sometimes we begrudge, we resent grace. If I had to be honest, I 
totally relate to these first hired workers. Like, if I, if I were honest, <laughs> if it were me, and I was hired first and worked 12 hours, and then these guys who only worked an hour get the same pay, like, I, I'd say the same thing. That's how I would feel. I think the parable is highlighting an attitude, a mindset. In particular, the mindset of the elder brother and the prodigal son, who says, well, what about me? You killed the fattened calf for the son who took your money and ran away? I've been serving you, obeying you all these years. You didn't even give me a goat. That's not fair. See, grace is sweet to the prodigal son, to the 11th hour worker. But grace is offensive and upsetting to the elder brother, to the ones who work the full day, to those who feel they've earned something. They deserve something. The parable exposes and confronts that attitude. Well, that's not fair. The problem isn't just that we feel that's not fair. That response, that attitude reveals a broader worldview, a broader mentality, paradigm, that we believe in meritocracy. People should get what they work for. I want to call it the wage earner fairness framework system. And this is how the world works, or at least how we think the world should work, right? That if you work hard, you should get paid. You should get promoted. You should get the grade. You should get the award. The, and in this system, those who work more, well, they should be paid more. And if, if some other guy doesn't work as much, but for other reasons, they get the promotion, they get the award, we cry out, that's not fair. When Peter asks the question, so what do we get for giving up everything to follow you? I think there was, Jesus recognized, a sniff of that paradigm, that wage earner fairness framework. He's thinking kind of like the guys who were hired first. Hey, like, let's just make sure that things are going to be fair. Peter wants to make sure. William Taylor, a Scottish preacher of the 19th century, said, there's a good deal of elder brotherliness even in men of Christian character. I want to suggest, actually, I think maybe even more so, that if we live good Christian lives and have good Christian character, we are more likely to have this elder brotherliness, wage earner, fairness mindset that feels, hey, you know, after all I've done, I think I do deserve a little something. Though we might expect the world 
to have this wage earner fairness meritocracy system, Jesus is saying, that is not how things operate in the kingdom of God. That's not the way we roll here in this kingdom. That's not the way God wants us to relate with him. In fact, he says, it's a problem. It's a problem. And we see it in the story, right? The wage earner fairness mindset causes us to accuse God that in his graciousness, we cry out, unfair. The master replies, friend, I do you no wrong. You think I've wronged you. You accuse me. But I've not done wrong. Right? The fairness approach causes us to accuse God, and it causes us to miss out. You want a wage? Fine. You get a wage. But then you miss out on God's generosity. We miss out on his generosity. And I think through this parable, Peter, Jesus is warning Peter and warning us against not just that attitude, but that whole system, that whole framework, that whole meritocratous wage earner, fairness, elder brotherliness. Because you see, there is a different way. If you look in the parable, to those who were hired later, the master said, you go to the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. In other words, these workers were not told, the master did not say, and the workers did not know what their pay would be. In fact, none of them knew. The ones who were hired at the 11th hour, all we read is, go into the vineyard too. He doesn't even talk about pay. doesn't even mention it. The difference between the workers who were hired first and everybody else, aside from these guys worked the longest, aside from the hours of number of hours they worked, the, the other difference is everybody else didn't know what they were going to get. They didn't know their wage. Only those who were hired first had agreed to a denarius and so knew what their wage would be. I'm going to everybody else, the second approach, the trust the master approach. Trust the master. He will give whatever is right. See, I want to suggest there are two systems here in which we might try to live our Christian life. The wage earner, fairness, meritocracy. I've worked hard. I've sacrificed much. I've obeyed faithfully. I've served diligently. I think that deserves something. Something. Come on, it's got to count for something. At least I should receive more than those who didn't serve, obey, and sacrifice as much as I did. Or there is the trust the master's generosity approach. It's about grace. God doesn't owe me a wage. He doesn't owe me anything. I cannot make a demand. I, I have no claim that I can bring before him. Rather, I put my hope in his generosity. So I have a gardener who comes each week to cut the grass, trim the bushes, collect the clippings. 
off the record here, I'm not really happy with my gardener. Actually, I don't think he does a very good job. And one day I may choose to say, hey, you know, I don't know if you're worth what I'm paying you. I can choose to fire him and find another gardener. For my kids, however, <laughs> I feed them, clothe them, buy them toys and gadgets. I take them to parks and restaurants and trips to fun places. All long before they were ever able to do anything for me. One receives a wage. The other receives an inheritance. A gift. See, these aren't just two different amounts. These are two different systems, frameworks, kingdoms, shall we say. And I believe that is what's being compared here. He's saying to those who have the wage earner fairness approach, who may actually have indeed obeyed more, served harder, and sacrificed much. <laughs> they may have sacrificed a lot. And in that regard, they feel they've earned a lot. They're, they're, they're at the front of the line. Jesus is saying, you know, that's not the way this kingdom works, though. Not about how much you've sacrificed. And others who trust in God's grace, who aren't looking for what's fair. It's not about what's fair. And even though they may not have sacrificed all that much, they will receive grace upon grace. And so, the first will be last. And the last, first. Our reward is not tied to our sacrifices, but to our trusting his generosity. In other words, it's not about our merit. It's about his grace. And maybe, do you recognize, there's a gospel framework here. We are saved not by our works, but by grace through faith. I'm sure you've heard that before. But I want to add, and we are rewarded, not by works, but by grace, through faith, that this is the kingdom in which we live. This is how the kingdom operates, not about earning merit, but receiving grace from beginning to the end. And if we are to live in this kingdom, Jesus is warning Peter and us, hey, 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 whoa, 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 careful, careful now. Be careful of that wage earner, fairness, I earned and deserve mindset. Because he's saying, you are not my gardeners. You are my children. So what does that mean? What does it mean to live as his children and not his gardeners? <laughs> what does it mean to trust his graciousness, to live that way? I think there are lots of implications, but it at least means from our passage that whatever we sacrifice for him, <laughs> we're going to get more than what we deserve. I mean, don't worry about it. It's going to be very, very, very good for us. Though we go down a road of real sacrifices, 
He is not a cruel or sadistic God. He's not trying to take away whatever we might sacrifice. We will receive and receive. He will give and give and give. And we receive and receive and receive. You see, that's the kingdom. That's the gospel story we are in because he is lavishly generous. He is extravagantly gracious. When Peter asked the question, you know, what are we going to get? He said, Jesus replied, well, you'll sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes. You all have positions of power and authority. You're going to, whatever you've given up, people, or family, or property, hundredfold, hundredfold, and eternal life. Peter, Jesus is telling Peter, <coughs> Peter, don't even worry about it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just so much more. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived of what God has prepared for those who love them. I hear the New Testament saying, receive? What, you're going to receive? <laughs> Dude, you don't have the categories or the capacity to even begin to imagine. How am I going to explain to you what you're going to receive? There's just no way. It's way too big. Just trust the master. Do we really have to try to define this? Do we have to get it down on paper? Just trust the master. You see, this view, this faith has a view of God. How do you see God? And in this paradigm, in this kingdom, we see that he is good and gracious and generous and beautiful and benevolent and trustworthy and true. That's how we see him. He is the God who goes to the cross to save you, forgive you, adopt you, embrace you, to give you a spiritual inheritance, an eternal glory. And then we say, um, so God, uh, I just want to make sure things are going to be fair. <laughs> Like, you're going to have that conversation with the God who sacrificed his son for you? It doesn't make sense to think about fairness and equity with such a God. It's just not the way we think. It's not the kind of relationship we have. That's not part of this kingdom doesn't make sense to talk about, think about fairness and equity with a God who sacrificed his son for you. Instead, instead in this kingdom, our hearts are melted and moved to worship him, to love him, to trust him. In other words, we want to follow him, to honor him, to serve him, even at great sacrifice. See, I think some might take this parable to suggest that in the kingdom, the ideal sweet spot <laughs> is to get hired at the 11th hour and get the denarius. Cha-ching, right? 
We celebrate the 11th hour worker. That's where we want to be in the story. That's how we live in the kingdom. But I think that misses the picture. That misses the picture. That if we understand the kingdom of grace, it would melt and move and stir our hearts to trust him, to love him, to worship him, to desire to honor him and serve him no matter what the cost. That's the kingdom. See, it's a difference between being a gardener and being a beloved child. It's a different kingdom, different operating system. And Jesus invites us into a kingdom where loving and trusting a gracious God produces sacrificial faithfulness and unimaginable rewards. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we confess that uh, we live in a very consumeristic society. We have very, <laughs> can have a very entitled mindset that believes we do deserve more. After all we've done, we should get X, Y, and Z. But Lord, we recognize that's not the kingdom that you bring us into. Instead, Lord, I pray, we would see you with fresh eyes of how lavishly generous, extravagantly gracious you are. Because in that world, it doesn't even make sense to, to think and talk about fairness. Instead, we bow and worship and follow with all that we have and all that we are. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.